Good day to you, fair listener, and by the magic of technology, we're back for a third go round. We are back. Yes, we are the <laughs> three core. We've made it to the uh, we've made it to the trilogy now. So is this it? Monkey see, monkey review cubed. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> a reference that will become clear later. So welcome to the third full monkey see, monkey review podcast. So, sitting in his uh, little piece of airspace, we have Mr. Christopher Commander. Welcome, sir. How are you? Hello, all. Welcome, welcome. I am very well. How art thou? I'm, I'm not too bad at all. <laughs> not too bad at all. And sitting across me on the other side of the interwebs is the uh, beauteous... Oh, I've used beauteous before, but you're still beauteous, so I'm keeping that in. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, but I have a lockdown beard now, so... A this very is... sexy lockdown beard. There we go. It, well, it's more Tom Hanks in Castaway. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's good. Ruggedly handsome. Well, but here we are. Talking at your ears about movies, because uh, uh, we like movies, we hope you like movies, and if uh, if you don't like movies, we hope you like us enough to keep listening. Yes, just rambling on. And today, we have a themed episode. We do slightly, yes, because yeah. we're, uh, we're going big on the In Defence of. More about that in a little while. But before we get into that, because that's going to take up the lion's share of the... Of the cast. What have you got to tell me about the films you've been seeing lately, Christopher? That's a very good question. Um, I have been watching a couple of the new releases that have just popped up on streaming and on Blu-ray. So the first thing that I watched last week was Fantasy Island. I would consider it a fantasy horror film. It is a soft reboot of the classic television show. Um, which actually, I, I should say, okay. I should say, it is the second reboot. I would say because there there was a reboot of the television show, I think, in the early '90s or late '80s. The original TV show is brilliant. I watched it. Basically, the premise for those of you who don't know, each episode revolved around a character or two who would get to Fantasy Island and be met by Mr. Rourke and Tattoo, and they would basically say, "Here is your fantasy." And you have to see it all the way through. Basically, every episode was a life lesson. Or um, the character would grow from going through the stuff that they went through. Sometimes it would delve into comedy. Sometimes it would delve into drama and mystery. And uh, it kept it kept the show alive because it was able to jump between genres depending on what the writers uh, wanted the, their message to be. The film tries to do sort of the same thing. Not as well mainly because tonally it's hard to shift between so many different genres and keep a cohesive story going. Some of the more interesting elements of the film are the more heart-wrenching moments in it. Um, I wouldn't say that Mm -hmm. they are um, cry-worthy or heart-wrenching in the sense of uh, you come out distraught and wanting to rethink your life in a good way. It's not that great of a film. So, so the premise of this film is there are a group of people who are brought to the island on a plane. De plane, de plane. And for those of you who understand that reference, thank you very much. They've won a mystery contest, which isn't explored at all in the film, but you don't need to. You don't need to understand that. There's, there's many questions brought up in this film. I, I, I assume that you can, you can get my, my tone of my, of my love or hatred for this film. 
yeah, it's it's not effusive at the moment. No, no, no. <laughs> I th- that being said, I, I didn't hate the film. It was a film that I just let flow over me. There were a few moments in the film that made me upset because they were just so stupid. But that's that. Yeah. That's beside the point. So they are brought to this island. They meet Mr. Rourke. How does uh, old Michael Pena, who I I'm a fan of, uh, I think he, I think in the right roles, I think he's uh, he's a really nice presence. But uh, how does he compare to uh, Ricardo Montalban from the? Uh, he, which is a great it's a great name to say. How how, how do I put this in? Because uh, I I like him too. He is very miscast in this film. The original Mr. Rourke has this ethereal presence to him yeah. where you. You don't know if there's a supernatural element to him. You don't know how he's connected to the island. The mystery is part of his charisma, and he's elegant to watch. This version of Mr. Rourke is a slave to the island, basically. His character, from start to finish, already has this less controlled version of Mr. Rourke, which, if you... If you get behind that that is the choice that the film has made, right. his portrayal is more understanding. It's a hard thing to wrap your brain around because he is supposed to be the master of the island. From from what you would think, he is the curator of the island. He's the creator of these fantasies that are going to happen. And to immediately be brought into his presence and see that he's not quite fully at one with what's okay. going on, it creates a weird disjoint for the audience because you don't you don't really get why he's acting the way he is. And the film deals a lot of those cards out to the audience. There's a lot of unexplained stuff which they like to yeah. keep close to their chest for the multiple <laughs> twists in a very Blumhouse way. So yeah, there, there's there's your first start. It, it, it's a Blumhouse production, and we know that Blumhouse production has has produced some some of the the most classic horror films of the last decade. Didn't they produce Get Out? They did. Yeah. Well, this is this is discussion we had in the last uh, in the last podcast. So they they are very they are very hit and miss. Jason Blum he takes chances a lot on on where the money goes, and that's fine. It's to be applauded. I you know it is to be applauded. Not everything is going to stick, but then you you get a, a Get Out or an upgrade or a Paranormal Activity that that do, that do stick. And so that's I, I guess that's what what films like this are about. Is that taking taking that chance on a on a on a known property and reimagining reimagining yes. it but and i th- think that's one of my issues with this film is they took this chance on a known property and applied the very cliche horror stuff to it without much respect for the source material yeah. they could have placed it in a completely different setting and it would have just been a film it didn't have to kind of taint what Fantasy Island could have been. I think I think I'm more angry at the unused potential of what it could have been. Yeah. Because it could have been fantastic. So in terms of in terms of a recommendation for screening for a, uh, you know for streaming while you're in lockdown, I'm getting the feeling you're leaning towards a no. <laughs> I would just say I would just say give it a miss. If. if it's tough because I I love I love Fantasy Island. I'm sure that there are people who just enjoy the film, and and this we talked about this last time being too yeah. close to something that that we enjoy. But I think just in terms of a film, it's not a great film. There's the rub. 
it's not just the wasted potential of the property it's the fact that the actual film that it's connected to has no great entertainment value uh, which is a shame we like to see the positivity in most things but on this occasion i think uh... it was tough it was very tough <laughs> yeah. i tried I, I went in i went in open 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 minded i really wanted to enjoy it because yeah. because why wouldn't you it's a great it's a great concept just a wasted Absolutely. opportunity give it a miss well thank you very much that's fantasy island probably not streaming on your telly anytime soon uh, one that uh, that has been uh, streamed quite a lot has become something of a hit in the last few weeks is a new netflix release it's from the production company set up by Joe and Anthony Russo, uh, directors of the biggest film of all time, uh, Avengers Endgame, uh, the Agbo Productions. Uh, and this is the uh, Chris Hemsworth starring Extraction, uh, which is now available for streaming on Netflix. So just a little bit of context, so the Agbo production company uh, the Russos, uh, they've already had one film uh, through this company, which uh, was last year's 21 Bridges, uh, which starred another Avengers alumni in uh, Chadwick Boseman, which was a you know, perfectly serviceable, decent sort of throwback cop drama, uh, cop thriller, So, uh, which is streaming at the moment on Amazon Prime. It's worth checking out but yeah so extraction uh, you know there, there is again the avengers link with the lead in mr hemsworth um and uh, what a Joe, sexy man he is he is a fine <laughs> fine figure of a fine figure, <laughs> fine of, a gentleman. figure of a figure yes um and joe uh, so joe russo has written the script uh the screenplay and it is directed by a former stuntman by the name of Sam Hargrave. Now, this was some solid entertainment. Now, it does earn its 18 rating. Um, it is uh, it is quite hard hitting. It's it, it's a bit of a different role for uh, for Chris Hemsworth in the fact that um, it's a kind of full blooded action role with um, with some real some real bite to the uh, the fight sequences basic premise is he is playing an ex uh, special forces soldier now turned basically mercenary uh, with the magnificent name Tyler Rake and at one point uh, going very spoiler like he does actually kill somebody with a rake just to just to drive that point home. Oh, that that <laughs> had to be on purpose. Right? Oh, absolutely. Oh, you you it, it had to be. So the 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 premise of the film is he's brought back in to rescue the kidnapped son of a uh, Indian drug dealer. The son has been kidnapped and taken into uh, Bangladesh, and so he has to go into Dhaka in Bangladesh and uh, rescue rescue this boy and get him back over the border. But things do not, as is the way with these films, go according to plan. The film itself, uh, so I've, I've briefly touched on the action. It's it's almost got a feel of, of something like The Raid, uh, that sort of quite close quarters, hard-hitting, relentless, really inventive violence in there. It does uh, sail quite close to the winds of cliche. He's a, uh, a special forces man with a... A tragic past and uh, is he haunted by things of his past by chance he he is he is haunted by things <laughs> from his past and um and consequently that sort of feeds into the character's nihilism he doesn't care he's a man on the edge 
but what what it does do i mean it's 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 great kind of disengage your brain entertainment there is some fantastic visual flourishes just touching briefly on the, the fight sequences they're very well shot and done in such a way that you, you kind of get the heft of it it's not uh you know a, a taken three over edited uh can't tell what's going on 27 cuts of a guy getting over a fence well this is yeah this 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 literally goes to the other end of the spectrum and i didn't time it there is one kind of central uh, action sequence that takes place in what's looks like one continuous tracking oh, shot. Oh, we, we love one-cut fight scenes. They Absolutely. are brilliant. There's that fantastic one in Daredevil that's phenomenal, which you have to check out as well. Yes, so it, it, there, there's 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 a real vibe about that as well. It's, it's a lot like that, but then it spins out a lot further and encompasses car chase, a really sort of well-shot car chase, and the, so the camera works excellent for it. Um, so there's there's some really good stuff to to kind of get your teeth into with it. It's clearly gone down a storm because uh, you know it's it's been one of Netflix's biggest sort of movie hits for a little while. So that's that's very positive. Hemsworth himself as a this kind of full blooded action hero, it really works. Uh, I mean, he's got he's he's got the stature and the physicality for it. He doesn't trade off on the uh, the lightness of his personality that you you'll have seen particularly with with the thor films he does trade very well on the kind of the, the pathos side of things almost again to the point of cliche but you know it's 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 just a rollicking good ride so uh catch it on netflix if you're a subscriber anytime soon so, which brings us to to the third and final review and I'm going to hand back over to the lovely Mr. Commander all the pressure. Yeah, so the second film that I watched this past week was um, the release of Underwater with Christian Stewart as as our lead, directed by William Eubank. It is a yes. science fiction horror film. Like that's I would say yeah. that. It, it, with an interesting concept. So th- the concept is what initially brought me to want to watch this film. Mm. A standard group of people trapped all together with a monster that will attack them. Standard stuff. The thing about this film that got me interested the most was, one, the fact that it's underwater, because uh, for those of you who know me, and for those of you who don't, here's some information. Uh, I'm terrified of water in general. <laughs> my my number one fear is drowning, um, and the the wonderful abyss of nothingness when suddenly the sun doesn't hit the bottom of the deepest parts of the ocean is bloody <laughs> terrifying to me. And and we don't know what's down there. And that is what the premise of this film is all about. The stuff that is in the dark depths of undiscovered waters. The monster, I think I think I think I can say this, <laughs> is Either, either very heavily based on or is Im- implied to be H.P. Lovecraft's Cthulhu. There is a mining company who has these little colonies underwater and they are mining for something. You get into the very... Um, you don't get into much, but you get into some details of, ooh, the mining corporation, their modus operandi is, is to find out what this creature is, but not obviously telling their employees. The, the, the insidious 
big bad corporation is at hand in this film. Led by Christian Stewart, the, the film starts with Christian Stewart brushing her teeth and giving us a voiceover of her current state of mind. And then it quickly evolves into a natural disaster film. She, she feels the rumble, the Jurassic Park shake of a water. Suddenly there is, let's call it an earthquake, that strikes one of the colonies that she is in. Immediately the pace picks up. You've gone from this voiceover, which you're starting to, to understand this character a little bit, and then immediately straight into disaster area, for those of you who love hitchhikers. So they are now completely stranded underwater with a threat. It is a surface horror film that, that is quite entertaining. It has its merits. Now, that being said, <laughs> this is Chris's skeptical hour. First of all, the effects were brilliant. They do this thing where they walk on the on the on the sea floor at one point, and my suspension of disbelief was always suspended, because water is terrifying to me, and that mm. side of the ocean um, scares the bejesus out of me. I at no, at no point in this film felt the claustrophobic, scared tightness that I would get being underwater that far down. I was fully prepared to be terrified of the unknown the darkness the unknown creature but it is very quickly ruined because the big bad cthulhu i'm gonna call him cthulhu even if he isn't that's what he is in my brain he sends little minion creatures basically to pick off the survivors that changes the threat of the big baddie now it's not one big unknown creature that's doing this there are little minion creatures that can be picked off if you do the right stuff and it's not as terrifying to me. And that's what bugs me about this film. I was so prepared to be scared out of my wits because that's the ultimate horror for me. Uh, it may do that to other people. Um, these are my thoughts. Take them with a pinch of salt. Um, maybe some salt water. <laughs> if you want sort of a horror film that isn't going to challenge you intellectually or make you want to think, this is a pretty standard horror film with an interesting concept because it's underwater. Hmm. And uh, it feels uh, almost a little bit because, as uh, you know, as we've sort of touched upon in this, there is a reason for me saying this. We will, <laughs> this will create a link. If uh, I've heard that it's it's quite a derivative film, um, and that it's it riffs a lot on the the classic sort of alien type horror. It does. When I came out of watching this film, I immediately texted you and yes. said, um, "It feels like." The filmmakers are trying to do an alien and a Cloverfield mashup. Yes. Is, is what it feels like this film tries to be. It kind of works on both of those levels. If you were to take those and combine them, you would kind of get this film. But because it is so derivative of both of those, it comes across as very unoriginal. Yeah. So not, not a, not a, again, unusually for us, not a huge recommendation, but, um, but certainly, certainly an interesting, uh, it, it seems, it seems fairly divided. Uh, yeah. I've looked at some reviews. It seems to be about half of the people like it and half of the people don't like it. I just, uh, just as a, by way of a, a little tangent uh, on this, it's, it's interesting you talk about because, uh, with your fear as, as the underwater, uh, yes. And, yes. Where are you going? The, oh, there is. Uh, there, you'll see in a moment. Um, <laughs> there's just interesting that, that there's something that's kind of a fundamental fear for you, but then on film, it um, 
it, it hasn't had the impact that maybe yes, you it doesn't have... quite translate that I that I hoped it would. No, because um, there are films that that are claustrophobic and make me feel very uncomfortable, which have nothing to do with water. I just thought that this would yes. this would have um, the quickest way to my terror glands, um, but it did not. Well, this is this is this is the thing because um, claustrophobia is is my is is one of my mm. big fears, and again, that is a uh, uh, a shortcut to to me. To it, even thinking about it makes my chest feel tight. So, uh, if take a film like uh, the Ryan Reynolds starring Buried, uh if you've ever had an opportunity oh, to see that, oh, I have that. not watched it. That that's oh. him. That's him in a in a in a coffin, right? Basically, yes. It's uh, for for the for about the eighty minutes runtime. Uh, it's it's him uh, just confined to this this coffin underground with. A mobile phone with a battery that is running down, and it is uh, is one of the most claustrophobic, uh, downbeat, really well made, really interesting concept. And again, it's it's one of those that it's um, uh, again, it just uh, that's uh, just gonna pause there. It's one of those films that just hits my fear dead on that anything that has that um um that moment of claustrophobia um and uh, you know my mental association with it it automatically um makes me start to feel quite stressed so sure. uh, so it's a shame that it's a shame that underwater didn't have that that effect but i'm sure I, i'm sure you, we, we can come back and uh do a a longer discussion on those films that really tap into both of our primal fears. Oh yes, please. Yes, so look forward to that in a uh, future Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. So, as if by magic, uh, and it's <laughs> we almost didn't plan this. we didn't plan this. This is this is this is completely accidental. <laughs> That's a lie. Um, we talked about it before. Oh, you know absolutely. We did. Yeah, absolutely. we can't lie to our audience. You know, no, you know you, all of our secrets. Know. Definitely. Um, we come to our In Defence Of, and inspired in part by the the film that Underwater you know, was inspired by, uh, we are going to do our biggest In Defence Of to date, uh, which is, and I, I'm going to set out set out the parameters for which we, uh, which we discuss this, um, that it is In Defence Of, any alien film, not named alien or aliens. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> we're not including Alien versus Predator because they're not technically canon. So uh, I mean, let's let's be honest. Both myself and you yourself, we are huge Alien film. We fans. really are. Yeah. Um, I think we're very much on the same page that um, the first Alien is. Uh, it, it's it's an absolute horror masterpiece. It is. It's a, it's a reason why it endures as a classic horror film, and will continue yeah. to do so. Yes, I, I mean I saw this last year for its fortieth anniversary on the big screen. Um, one of my bucket list movie item things uh, was to be able to see both Alien and Aliens on the big screen, and I managed to do both within the space of a month of each other uh, last year, and Alien still has the power to even when you know what's coming 
but magnified on that the, the big screen and it you know it, it even works still on the small screen uh, and going back to a lot a lot of what I talked about in my, my mini cast last time is the magnification of the impact of it that it is just so unsettling still uh, mm-hmm. even when you know what's coming mm-hmm. that the, the jump scares still work that the that there's that, that creeping sense of dread all the way through it that um, again, I, you know, we're, we're talking about a film that's 40 years old and for the most part people will be aware of a lot of the twists, but I don't want to go too spoiler heavy, but there is a <laughs> but there is a sequence, you know, towards the end of the film when one of the characters is revealed to be more than he was letting on and yeah, it's for terrifying. Se- it is for a sequence that's not involving the alien itself, uh, which is, a, you know, a, 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 this wondrous monstrous creation is just you know this character reveals himself to be just as just as monstrous and it is chilling and it's it's so effective um so yeah i mean alien itself is an absolute stone cold classic um now we did we did have a, a small revelation just before we uh, we recorded that uh, we're slightly on slightly different pages with the ne- with the next film in the franchise which is aliens which for me again i i put the point that for me it's 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 a perfect one two punch of a of a film and its sequel because um it, it, aliens for me takes it off in a completely different direction uh, mm-hmm. But one that is just as welcome and, and puts an entirely new slant on it, but almost honors everything that had gone before with it. So, and it gives rise to you know a, the continuation of an absolutely iconic sci-fi hero uh, in Ripley. Um, you sure. know, up, up to this point, I mean, she uh, I think she'd been nominated for um, a BAFTA for Alien. She was nominated for a Golden Globe for Aliens. She was uh, nominated for Best Actress uh, Oscar for Aliens as well. Just off the strength of those two performances, you know, it, it's it's a character that's not just in popular sort of culture uh, and popular cultural awareness. Uh, that you know that the, it's these performances that that make them that that she's you know she is fantastic oh, sure. um the start I, of the kind kind of the the start of the modern uh female heroic badass really absolutely uh, and uh, you know what what a hero she is but i think you know we'll, we'll, we'll pick up on your supports around aliens in a second mm-hmm. but there is there is a general feeling that and i think a lot of people listening to this will feel that there is a a downtick in quality for the subsequent four films, but what what I think we both wanted to to kind of talk about and cover is the fact that even within those films, which are of you know declining quality throughout the course of the series, that there is still some really interesting things going on within the saga, and there's they're not completely worthless enterprises that there is some real quality to them so that's that's where we're that's where we're coming at for our in defense of this week it's quite a long introduction but it's yes. uh, but i think i think it's i think it's worthwhile setting the scene so just to pick up on before we roll on I, yeah i wanted to pick up on your your points around aliens ah yes okay um well so 
some of the issues with aliens i i do like aliens just gonna put that to start that yeah. as my thesis okay. um uh i do like aliens i think the my issues with aliens stem from the fact of a few things one there are some in- increasingly annoying characters in aliens yeah um hudson bugs me a lot uh you see i'm on the other side of that i i i I have a soft spot i've I've got a soft spot for bill paxton i think uh that's totally fair that's totally fair god rest his soul and and that was the first first film that i really became uh, that was probably the first film i saw him in yeah and 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 i yeah i followed i followed his career ever since because he 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 is he is irritating um yes but i've got but i've got a real but i've got a real soft spot for him and he gets some of the best lines as well uh, I, he I does think, yeah. yeah he 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 felt like a little bit of a gimmick yeah i i think because i what you've got with aliens is james cameron trans translated the the war the war film staples sure and, sure. and, and i think of... i think i think that's one of my other issues with it is it it ticks all the boxes for mass market appeal it really was buying into and, and and James Cameron, you can you can feel you can feel the Terminator presence in it. You can feel yeah. all those influences. And I think I think just in terms of because I love Alien so much, we we have this element of this war action film where suddenly there's a lot of aliens. Duh, there is a lot of aliens which can be killed fairly easily. Yes, and I th- I think the. Uh, but I think what the film does, because uh, the difference between Alien and Aliens is they were, you know, they were unarmed. They were having to use their their wits. But there's something about Alien that I always thought he is more he, it is more of. See, I I, I empathise. <laughs> yeah. It is more of a ruthless, really smart killing machine than the yeah. ones in Aliens. Yes, well, to to an extent, but then you've got the um, you've got the uh, atmosphere processing station sequence where there's this this crew of highly trained marines that get you know apologies for any spoilers, but they do get they do get torn into rather easily on the aliens' home turf, and I think uh, and and even even though with the heavy firepower there it makes them more easy, easily dispatched what the alien uh what it still shows is is the relentlessness of the of the breed throughout because they don't they don't stop and right it's just and, that constant survival instinct it, it is and that's um and and, and I guess that's 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 where it, where the entertainment fights because I, I imagine you know 1986 a film like Aliens that's you know so classily made that that's that's you know kind of knocking on the the, the series into a different kind of area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't imagine leaving the Terminator influence aside that there was anything else like that in the cinemas at that time that was was uh, this kind of science fiction action to that to that quality um, yeah and 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 uh, again I, I i think you know alien as a horror film was quite revolutionary i think aliens as a as a war action sci-fi thriller 
is probably you know we we probably feel a lot of the uh, the kind of reverberation as a result of that because of the sure oh definitely done. definitely so, um, for me you know it's an absolute I, I just I think it's an absolute stone cold classic. Um, I mean we 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 can agree on the basics. We love Bishop. Oh we yeah, love Newt. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Uh, which which makes the beginning of Alien Three all the more. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so this is it. This is this is this is our this is our transition now. So, yes. so strap in, relax, uh, turn on your cryo tubes. Uh, your oh. exits are nowhere, and uh, in space, no one can hear you scream. Yes. And get away from her, you bitch. <laughs> Alien Three. Yes. David Fincher. Hmm. First time directing David Fincher. First time oh. directing a a big 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 yes. old film. He has come out fairly frequently about his kind of disownment of yes. his own film. And when it came out, it uh, it divided fans um, unanimously, yeah. almost. I have... I, I remember not enjoying it as much as Aliens. And now, weirdly enough, after re-watching them uh, over the years, and my, my opinions have kind of swapped. Um... I really enjoy Alien 3. I understand the tonal shift is is difficult for yeah. a lot of people with the Alien franchise because it is not the classic horror alien kind of actiony film, but it is it shifts into this kind of gothic horror um you've got candles everywhere, you've got basically these monks. The dialogue is is phenomenal and really well yeah. delivered. Um, we can we can skip over the um, the issues with compositing a, a, a rod puppet alien into the film. <laughs> that didn't quite no, work. No, did I it? think I think some of the alien special effects in it were were yeah. were weak. Um, I, I think I, you know, but they were trying d- new things, so we got to give them credit for that. Definitely, I think I think tonally it has got that really dour. Almost a nihilistic feel about it, um, and I, I again, I I don't I don't put it on the same level as the first two, but I still think there is there is so much interesting content to it. Um, take you know, leaving aside the 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 killing off of the three characters in the first sequence, where you know the the three fellow survivors from Aliens, um, I, I understand how that would would put people off and would you know would would cause some consternation amongst fans but i think generally as a as a as a horror film uh, it's uh, it's really effective and uh, it's really interesting because i think alien 3 has probably got the mo- one of the most interesting uh, stories from concept to screen out of the, the whole series oh sure yes yes do do talk about how that uh, came yeah, about yeah so uh, so they there was a real, uh, real push after Aliens to, to follow down the the sequel path. There were innumerable like draft scripts for it out there. So some of the original plans were that they were going to go quite a lot more of a traditional route, uh, and you know, aliens on a uh, basically aliens on a space station, um, and the focus was going to be more around Hicks than Ripley. Uh, that mm-hmm. the Sigourney Weaver wanted to take a step back from the series um, for a time, and uh, Hicks was a 
a fan favorite character there would be an element of, of both bishop and newt as well and then there would be a fourth film where we would have the return of ripley um, so the, 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 in, in this original script as the, the William Gibson script that is, has actually been turned into a, an audio book and a comic book in its own right really interesting story but for, for, for whatever reason they decided not to go down that path and I think I think by the time the film would have would have come out uh, there's a real sort of undertone of Cold War so there's a rival space station that also has alien issues that, that feels more sort of uh, Along the communist lines and this this so space station mm. come science lab come mall uh, which has got um, you know residents living there uh, so there are sequences taking place in like a shopping mall and uh, and like space bound bar but they just decided not to go down that route consequently the Vincent Ward was given the job to uh, create it and the the kind of the DNA of of his version. Which was uh, the the plug was pulled because of budgetary concerns, but he'd come up with a really interesting concept of Ripley crash landing on a, a, a basically a wooden planet, like a wooden satellite, uh, with the oh. with these monks that had uh, forsaken all technology and uh, brought in the the concept of of a king alien. Uh, to, to kind of go alongside the, the queen, the queen alien, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and some of the DNA of that still exists in the Alien Three that we have. That that mm-hmm. um, you know, it's Ripley on this um, desolate planet with no no technology, um, stuck with a. Uh, you know, there, there's still some religious undertones to it. Um, oh, a lot. Yeah. Um, so there's so. But consequently, the, the 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 story and the script which I've I've read uh, is really interesting and uh, asks some really interesting questions. But it, I think the the cost risk um, of how much it was going to cost to, to make versus this really kind of challenging, different, out there concept, I think made the studio executives balk a little bit, and then consequently in the rush to to pick up obviously Scorny Weaver's back on board with the mm-hmm. um, uh, with the proviso that the fate of her character is as it is at the end of the film uh, that, um, that that David Fincher uh, took over I mean this is quite a truncated version of it and if you are interested in the Alien Saga really get out there and read about it because it's uh, it's absolutely fascinating but then what you've got is you know we, we know what a great career Fincher's had from this point onwards and how uh, how much of a singular director he is. He is, you know, he is uh, very much the master of his own destiny. And mm. uh, a lot of that comes from the treatment that he had on Alien 3, Alien Cubed, um, where right. he, um, he, he essentially had no control. He was beholden to, um, you know, an unfinished script and uh, studio executives constantly interfering in the production and it uh, and this is why the the longer uh, it's a really interesting work print edition of alien 3 which is available on the dvds and blu-rays which tells you know expands on the story and again adds more of that sort of interest and intrigue to the to the story and expands on some of the characters it's not a director's cut because fincher as you say he's he's quite vociferous in the fact that he he's disowned it 
he doesn't yeah. he he doesn't want to be necessarily associated with it and who could blame him with the the, you know, the treatment that he'd had but yeah. but consequently as a result of that and this will be a theme that reoccurs with the uh, resurrection as well i think it's a really in- i still think it's a really interesting film and i th- still think there's there's some good to come out of it um you know i think there's a really interesting art design i think i think some of the sequences and what you notice with with alien 3 and this this carries on more in alien resurrection is the first two alien films have a certain amount of blood and gore um but not as much as you would probably think for two films that are 18 rated uh, you know the chestburster yes. sequences. What you consequently get is uh, it's made up for in Alien Three. Alien Three makes up for it, but then Resurrection goes that the stage further. But we'll come on to that in a, in a couple of minutes. But yeah, yeah, I think I think Alien Three uh, is a. I know you enjoy it, sort of probably the, the second most of the series. I'm I'm less I'm less keen, but I still think there is some worth to it and. Um, yeah, I, I I I still throw it on from time to time if I'm ever feeling too good about the world. So, <laughs> yeah. I think I think it was it was an ambitious film. Yes, the, the, what what was tried to done with to treat the trilogy, for lack of a better term, as it was then. Yeah, um, with such a serious arc was to be commended and to see and to see the growth of Ripley. To immediately be taken and isolated like that, yeah. Um, you can tell that it's Sigourney Weaver's third time with this character, and you can tell she's so comfortable with it, yeah. And she's so naturalistic with it, Absolutely. and it's possibly her best uh, Ripley performance out of all of them. I think each one, each one has its own kind of unique, uh, unique arc and unique feel about it, and I think, and you can treat it as you know those those three maybe four distinct stages of the character is you've got you know the dealing with the horror and the, the survival mm-hmm. instincts there's you've the, got the mothering insp- the, instincts yeah, in alien too and 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 the meeting the horror face on and trying to uh, 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 trying to fight back because yeah and she comes i mean uh, metaphorically and physically she comes to grips with yeah. with with coming face to face with it absolutely and then Alien Three is almost that acceptance of the fact that you know her fate is now intertwined with this creature, um, and that uh, you know the, the way the way that she deals with her story arc in Alien Three is it's such a it's such a great character performance, um, and you, you you could just feel the weight of it on her, and it's almost like that 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 final the final sequence. You almost see the release and the relief on her as um, you know. As, oh, agreed. As, yeah, as definitely. You know, she's committing herself to that final act. So, uh, one quick thing. Yes, it was an inspired choice to have Bishop return in the context that he does yeah. in this film, mm-hmm. because you have a face that you've loved and and come to trust in Aliens um, to be the face of a corporation that. No matter what he says, you know Ripley doesn't believe him. Yeah, and that's that's kind of heartbreaking in a sense as well. Yeah. Also, his performance is so engaging in those what eleven lines that he has yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, 
the uh, the ending of Alien Three is is really lovely to watch. Yes, yeah, uh, yes. I I big up to Lance Henriksen because a yeah, great presence in in the two films, and you know almost uh, as if we're we're bringing everything back in full circle that he has to put up with probably the worst scene for me in the whole series in terms of fear, where he has to squeeze himself into that little tunnel in Aliens. Um, and wriggle his way to the the satellite, and that whole sequence it uh, it, it just it makes me want to hyperventilate. So fair play, fair play to the guy. Um, okay, now talking talking about here's our segue. Yeah, talking about the fate intertwined Ripley yes. with this creature oh. in Alien Resurrection. Yes. So I, I mean, again, talking about thinking about the this whole idea that they wanted to they wanted to go back to the well one more time and and do another alien film but we're dealing with the fact that you know spoiler alert but it's it's something that's fairly well fairly well catalogued that ripley doesn't make it out of the end of alien 3 alive how are we going to create an alien film that that has ellen ripley the the answer is to to shoehorn in a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. No, no, it's um, I think tonally, and I think uh, I, I think Alien Resurrection sits a breed apart from the rest of the series. Um, uh, this is the one that I've watched the most recently, and um, I've always maintained that Alien Resurrection as a film is good to a point. And then that, yeah, I can agree with that. that. It's written uh, written by Josh Whedon, as we all know and love, who have brought uh, multiple uh, beautiful people to our screen yes. in, in one Avengery kind of way. Uh, yes, so uh, and Firefly kind of well, way. Well, just uh, interesting little segue. Uh, just before we get onto that, is the one thing that Josh Whedon took away from Alien Resurrection, and he is not a fan of the film at all. Um, I think the best quote about it is: "Is they said all the lines." Uh, as they were written, but they said them all, and, and all the sequences were as they were written, but they were all wrong. They were all just done wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. So, um, but you can you can yeah, uh, so. there is there is the elements of of Josh Whedon's writing yes. which we all kind of know through Firefly Absolutely. and through especially the first Avengers. Yeah, um, there is there is this sort of cheeky kind of meta writing that he's got especially yeah. with his dialogue it's it's a bit tongue-in-cheek when it needs to be yeah and if you if you kind of take resurrection as it was intended to be a dark comedy rather than a serious continuation of the horror franchise yeah you can appreciate it in kind of a different light yeah yeah i think so i think uh, just just one other thing on that that the, the Joss Whedon point is that uh, the crew of the Betty um, were ended up being the the inspiration for the crew of uh, of the Serenity. Makes total sense. In Firefly. Makes total sense. And so if 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 nothing else, that's the thing that Joss Whedon took from Alien Resurrection. So turn back over to the director Jean Pierre Jeunet because what he's done is he's brought his very particular. French style, you know, the 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 kind of delicatessen city of lost children, visual mm. visual aesthetic to it. But I mean, there there are there are things wrong all the way through it. You know, the <laughs> the the roaring aliens for the first time in the series. Um, 
that actually yeah. the, I think that it goes to a point that the violence and the gore in it goes to the goes to another extreme and there's some really inventive kills in there and there's some really inventive pieces of violence and uh, some of it's quite some of it's quite fun and some of it is just really quite um it 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 goes over a line that the alien series hasn't crossed until this point there is a lot of lot of things involving people's heads being sort of bitten or splattered uh, it, it, it's got a real thing about you know sort of getting people through the head but that's one thing that really struck me is uh, you know they you know they they you know they they're punctured squished bitten off <laughs> um skewered um sucked out of a small hole in the side of a spaceship um so uh, just a really really interesting side point on that I, I one of the biggest flaws of the film for me was the uh was the creation of the newborn towards the end which it, you know it, it still doesn't uh now i'm older because when i first watched it it just completely took me out of the film now i'm older i kind of get the concept a lot more but i still it still just doesn't quite fit right that all of a sudden there's this this new threat that's that that's just replaced all of the other threats it arrives in this kind of horrific not in a not in the intended way <laughs> but more in the sort of gelatinous um white wobbly chubby way that it has and all of a sudden it's a it's a threat and then um and then the the progress of the story but it happens so late in the day that there's there's so little establishment for it and then it's an immediate we have to deal with it oh it's over yeah Exactly, um, but just on on uh, and again, apologies. I'm we are if you've not seen Alien Resurrection, and you're intending to. I am going to talk a little bit spoilery. Uh, okay, here's here's your here's your warning. Yeah. You've had you've had twenty minutes of reviews. Yeah, here's your warning. Okay, so um, and this is something that I'll pick up again in Prometheus that there are there are things throughout um, the Alien saga that you know old scripts and different things that have that have happened have ended up being reused later on so um the concept of something or somebody getting sucked out of the of a little hole in the in the side of the ship was originally something that was in the original alien script which was intended for the lambert character uh way back when is that that's that's how her her character was intended to meet her end Uh, there are theories about the actual end that she does meet in Alien um, and I don't really want to talk about it because it's really unpleasant but if you have that in mind when you watch Alien when you read up on it it makes that scene even more disturbing but the, that's very yeah, interesting so yeah um, Joss Whedon obviously got hold of this idea and wrote it into the Resurrection script with the intention of it being uh, an unnamed soldier and then the the General Perez character is the character played by Dan Hadia. Um, mm-hmm. uh, who's the the captain of the of the ship that uh, that it all kicks off on, um, and then it was uh, again they they'd done work on on that and then realised that actually this death is quite spectacular. Why is it being wasted on wasted wasted on on a human? Yeah, a human or a, and a bit part character. So they ended up having to retool the whole thing late in the day and applied it uh to how the the newborn meets its end and i think i think you know we're, we're talking in defense of um and 
I don't. Uh, there are things that I I don't have a lot of time. To, the, the, you know, again, the characters. Actually, I found them quite entertaining when I was younger. Now I'm older, I just find the vast majority of them really quite unpleasant. Actually, uh, and I don't I don't actually care for any of them. Uh, so that is a good. That's a that's a very good point. Yeah. I mean, when it when it comes to the characters, they are they are they are very equally different. Yes. And you can that that's a that's a good thing in a film yeah. when you've got a, a cast of characters like that. But when they're equally different. In a non-pleasant way. Yes. You you sort of realise that there are no characters that you're really rooting for. No. Like half of half of the time, you kind of are rooting for Ripley to turn on everyone. It felt like an evil Ripley moment. Yeah. I know that's not where the character goes in the film. No. She goes sort of back to her mothering roots. Yeah. So oh, and there's there's an there's an. It's time for Chris's unpopular opinion. Go for it. Uh, I. I am not a big fan of Winona Ryder. Okay. There are a few things and a few things that I like her in. Um, yeah. And oddly enough, this is one of them. She's annoying in some parts, but I think that's down to that's down to what the character's given in terms of backstory. You yeah. can't really av- avoid some of the the weird cry times that she has. Yeah. But but she's the one that offends me the least out of the the cast of characters. That's and then we've got the uh, then we've got the um, oh, what's his name? Who's the who's the captain of the the scavenger ship? Oh, so it's Michael Wincott from um, the from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and I can't remember what his character's name is. Um, but he is he, he is about the only really likable character in it. His 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 scene with the. Um, with the general, yes, let's call him. He's quite fun to watch, and he's got that. He's got that really good voice to listen to. Yes. Um, also, this is a really random side note, which I'll probably cut. But the um, the general always reminded me of a certain actor, and I was like, if he he needs to play Nixon, <laughs> has he ever played Nixon? I I don't I don't know. He has got. I that need look. to know if that actor has played Nixon. Yeah. Um. Anyway, continue. I yes. No, no, no. That's uh, it's it's all good stuff. I'm I'm not a big fan of the core character, the Winona Ryder character in it. I think uh, again, the one thing we've not really really touched on, and again, it's one of the strengths of the film is again a new a new Ripley is being brought to the table. I mean, this is this is the uh, the close. This is a new new Ripley. Yeah. In fact, it's an eighth Ripley. Yes. Uh, and that sequence, I mean, it's it's. Is really when she discovers the the clones is a is an effectively grim sequence and it's that's one that stays with you. Um, but the fact that yeah, the, the, so this is this is a clone of Ripley that has been created to to remove the alien from her, but still. So explain to me, explain to me. Here's here's where we get into me saying about shoehorning things yes. to make a film. Um, explain to me. I understand that. I understand the reason for Ripley in the other films, yes. and I even kind of can forgive the reason to bring Ripley along in Aliens, yeah. um, which is a little bit of a shoehorn, yeah. um, since she's already told them the information they need to know. Yeah. Um, why do they need to clone Ripley? Because how is it going to work that they clone a Ripley and then put an alien in it? Does well, the clone come with the alien? The, this is this is this is where the, yeah. So 
the way the way the film sells it, I mean the reason it's got a Ripley in it is because Sigourney Weaver and the alien <laughs> franchise were Of course. Yeah, um were, you know, simpatico at that point. Um <laughs> the the way the film words it is that that they got blood samples from two hundred two hundred yeah. two hundred years before uh, they got from, it from they got it from the salvage of the planet with the monks the, the prison colony yeah so yeah. Um, so they, they got the blood samples from there and the attempts that the clone attempts are you know, they're attempting to clone Ripley as she was with alien inside her and that's where the failed ones come in is their failed attempts to uh, clone Ripley and have the, an intact alien. So I just I just want to make it clear that their version of cloning in the Alien franchise also includes the alien. Yes, yeah. So this is th- okay. This is this is uh, 1997 science Seven, fiction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I know. Uh, it's it's weird to nitpick science fiction because you just go, well, it's science fiction logic. Just suspend your disbelief. Hey, this is 1997. This is the same year that Nicolas Cage and John Travolta can swap faces. So, and the original concept with the clone was actually it was going to be Newt, not Ripley, that was cloned. Whoa, that's really curious, yeah. actually. Um, it didn't get much further along. Um, then, then, hey, this might be an idea. Yeah, I think it was written into an early draft of the script, but... Um, so, yeah. so, so, to get rid of Ripley completely? Yeah, um... If if there was a chance that the film was looking like it was going to happen without Sigourney Weaver, I think that was that was a that was a concept. So so actually, we can talk about that just a little bit. Yeah. Was Sigourney Weaver adamant about? I mean, we know that she was adamant about about not coming back because she wanted Alien Three to be the definitive end of Ripley. Yeah. What were the reasons? I, the the reason just is probably money, but were there reasons that Sigourney Weaver has talked about in terms of? coming back for the fourth right this is i'm, I'm gonna put something in that we can we can cut in somewhere um so I, I, so what we we have is this this ripley that's got the the heightened skills that almost like the alien dna running through her and there's that one of the coolest bits in it is is the basketball sequence where she first meets the crew of the betty oh, it's so good but you know what's funny i know what you're gonna say yes, i won't spoil it I'll, I'll give you i'll give you the thank you Thank you. I'll give you it because I know you love it too. Yep. The bit where she uh, makes the shot over her head with the with the basketball uh, was done in real time. Um, I, I don't know if it was the first take. I think it was the first take. Uh, she practiced and practiced, and they 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 put the film. They 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 rolled the cameras, and she she made the shot, and. All of the characters' reactions are the the genuine reactions to watching her doing that, uh, and I th- I think Ron Perlman nearly ruined the take. That's amazing. <laughs> so, just because of how impressed he was, um, I, I I think that's the story. So what were you going to say? Uh, I was going to say just something really annoying about that sequence because I love it so much and knowing that and watching it again recently just going oh I love it it's so great that it's in one take is that if you watch it it does go out of frame so it does if you don't know that piece of information yeah you would just be like ah they faked it yeah so so people out there it was one take she did it properly and when that goes out of frame 
It's only just going out of frame. They're not replacing it with another basketball and respect it. So the reason Weaver came back was that I, she'd she'd heard um, she'd had other script offers, but actually really liked Joss Whedon's script, and really liked what the 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 concept of the character was. This this kind of Ripley alien DNA fuse, and she felt it would be really really interesting character choices to be able to 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 work with and bring a different slant to the role. So I think the fact that it it was offering her something new and it really is something new compared to the rest of the series consequently what we've got now is um is the two latter alien films which i mean i'm, I'm not going to spend quite as long with these because i think i think they're they're interesting and i think um uh, this this comes back to some of the things we were saying in the last podcast about not thinking about thing how how you you approach things that maybe aren't your taste and just accepting that that's what we've got and i think i, I sure that is that's yeah, in defense um, of in i think i think prometheus i think i i understand why people don't like it and there are things about it that bug me but i think the 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 look of the film is amazing i think there are great sequences in it um, i remember the excitement of going to see it the first time and seeing it uh, imax 3d looked glorious uh, yeah it, it, it got um, and this was 3D that uh, I mean this was around the, the, the kind of the time where 3D was at its um, at its most sort of gimmicky height what they didn't what they didn't do right. with the Prometheus 3D was make it sort of pokey out of the screen 3D it was more um, oh that's good it wasn't it, was more, it wasn't um, it wasn't no, Spy it was Kids more, 3D it was more de- depth of field <laughs> Um, and and adding to uh, adding okay. to kind of the um, it and it looked really good and a lot of it was filmed in three D so there wasn't it wasn't kind of the post conversion where you had had that muddying of it so it's oh, nice. the clarity of it's nice. really good yeah. and there, there a couple of sequences uh, like the the map room sequence uh, where you've got the David character in inside the huge star map looked incredible yeah and 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 that and you know it gave us it gave us the 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 fastbender performance as david which is which is great um there's that there's a really lovely sort of uh sort of wince inducing throwback to um uh to the chestburster with um with the the self operation scene which is yeah which which is it's fairly good there's there's yeah. inconsistencies with it you know yeah. there's 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 moments of um there's moments of characters acting a bit daft, and I think it's it's become quite um, quite renowned for that. But I I, I enjoyed it in its own way. Um, I enjoyed it more the second time I saw it. Um, it's it's the least alien of all the the alien films, um, and you know the alien is just a um, it's just a, a light reference in there. Um, but it, but it's interesting because what happened after that is they were looking to carry on that through line and then something changed and they they went from kind of the, the idea of them you know uh, the um the two the two characters at the end going to look for the engineer's homeworld and paradise um mm. then it becomes alien covenant and becomes more of a segue back into the alien saga yeah because i mean if you if you go back and and you listen to some of ridley scott interviews um he's very adamant that uh the entire series arc was 
to be what yeah. came before, you know? Um, but I think it's fairly evident in, if you watch Prometheus, that the through line was changed somewhere yeah. during production. Um, yes, you have that meet your makers uh, yeah. storyline. Um, and, and yes, the dialogue and writing isn't great. Um, not not necessarily not great in terms of like um, it was poorly written. It was just poorly written in aspects of people don't talk like that, which I guess makes dialogue yeah. not well written. Um, yeah, I think there's... I think it, it's a, it's a for me it's a misunderstood film. I, I rewatched it yesterday. There are, there are elements of that film that I really really enjoyed, and there are que- there are answers to questions that I had when I first watched it, which made me sort of go, oh, but I'm a fan of Alien, and why doesn't this make sense, and why doesn't that make sense? And if you rewatch it and give your give your brain time yeah. to answer those questions, the answers yeah. are in that film. I think it's a. I'm not going to say it's a noble failure because I there there are things about it I really like, um, but I, I again has been kind of the tone of everything. There are things that I do and don't like about the series. It's just not on the level of where the series started. It's just interesting that it feels like Ridley Scott has kind of flip-flopped because uh, Prometheus was going to be an alien film. Then it was more about the the origins. And then the... Yep. Yeah. And, and then Covenant was going to be carried on those origins and then it's flipped more to being an alien film and Yeah. I remember I remember when they when they announced that they were putting Alien back yeah. in the title. And everyone was like, "Oh, so now we've, you know, yeah. we flip-flopped Basically. again." Um yeah, I mean it's interesting. I mean my 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 issue with the current Alien sort of timeline with what yeah. they're doing with Covenant and, and the other, I think there's going to be three more well, to try and connect it back to Alien, is it going to be five? Think, well, I don't know what I, the I state think, is I think now the, I think at the point that Covenant was released, it was going to be one, maybe two more um, I don't think they were going going all the way to five so, to yeah, Alien Covenant um, again, this is one of, I, I saw a couple of times at the cinema um, and actually had a lot of fun with once again goes back to the if you sit too much and think about what you got uh, or what you could have had you start to start to judge it more harshly alien covenant i think starts pretty well there's that central moment where where things start to go horribly wrong and i think that whole sequence from the moment they kind of breathe in the spores Right up to right up to kind of the, the the end of that that bit, and I'm I'm gonna go spoiler light. That was incredibly tense, uh, yeah. and uh, and I, I I thought really well done, and uh, I thought the the sort of the build and development of that sequence was yeah was was really was really well done. It's a, yeah, it's interesting. The the one scene the one scene that I really enjoyed in Covenant was the scene when they are in the field and they are being yeah. attacked by the alien. That yeah. is a, that, that 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 got me. And I saw it in four D. Okay. Sat in the little chairs that moved and in all the rain <laughs> scenes it would rain on us. Yeah. Um and I have to admit, apart from the fact that it was ruined by the people behind us who were just making fun of the film, we got our money back though, so it was fine. Um, <laughs> the immersive element of that I've always thought the 4D stuff was a gimmick because yeah. whenever I saw it, it it is a gimmick, fine, it's a gimmick but it worked really well in the aspect of this film yeah. um, 
they would put cold air in us so like when they land on the planet and it's raining and the the trickling rain comes down you can feel it on you and you feel uncomfortable and you felt sort of wet and grimy and it really it worked so well yeah um, so i'm slightly biased because i saw it in this very peculiar way yes anyway continue i'm going off on a tangent no um no that, that i thought it was, a, it was a good tangent i again i i think it's i think it's a flawed noble effort I think that what happens to the Shaw character, that was quite impactful within it from, you know, carrying over from Prometheus. What they've tried to do is in trying to link it back to Alien, they've actually took them. It feels like they've took themselves further away. Uh, It's a franchise that kind of suffers from its own, um, from its own love for itself. Um, And I, you know, when I watch Alien and Aliens, I don't think about, the, I don't think about the genesis of it that that's come through Prometheus and Covenant. Sure. I just I just can't. The two things don't link up in my mind, but they're just they're just two two films that happen to have happened in the same universe. We can all agree that Ridley Scott is a is a wonderful world builder. Yes, that's what he does best. Yeah, and he's really great working on 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 scripts that are really good. Yeah, the Mar- the Martian, for example. Exactly, exactly. That I know I mention this film a lot, but I, I, you know, it's um, I just find it incredible fun, and, and there, there's a real because that came after Prometheus. You look at some of the tech that he used, you know, some of the, the helmet cam stuff and and the visual styling, some of the, the some of the musical cues even link, and that that kind of really crisp digital style. There, there feels like that that filmmaker's DNA between Prometheus and The Martian, and the one has clearly informed the other. And another thing that that's really interesting is that one thing that was was storyboarded and designed for um, Prometheus is the the fate of the Charlie character was going to be a lot different, and that um, in a in a sort of a, a more bloodthirsty, gory version of the script. Um, the the bit where him and Shaw uh, end up having sex and uh, and she she creates life that in that sequence he had been infected and there was going to be basically like a a a version of a a chest a chest burster during the sex scene because uh, it's something Whoa. that yeah and that feels like something that's that's carried through in Covenant. Is that yes, having, having shelved bay. it? Yeah, yeah, so it's in the trailer. I'm not going to talk too much more about it, but the yeah, um, but the fact that yeah, that again, there there are all these concepts that that, that you know have, have been brought up and thought about throughout the series that actually they do get used and you know they're they're, they're part of that overall DNA. I just want to make this one little point before we yeah. kind of wrap up. Um, yes. I think one of the things that that bugs me the most about Prometheus and, and Alien Covenant yeah. is. What a lot of modern sci-fi films suffer from is the idea of sci-fi tech yeah. becoming not even a MacGuffin, just, just the idea that it is so advanced. And especially when they're, they're movies that are considered now definitely prequels to Alien. Yeah. The thing about Alien's tech was that it was so grounded in, you know, 70s and 80s actual technology that yeah. was around but now we have you know projection screens and 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 floaty things and it feels like it 
it's not as it's not as grounded, and I can't relate to it as much. No, I I came I I, I don't know if this is something that that I've I've kind of thought of, or whether it's something I've read as a as a concept, but it works. Is if you consider that like the Nostromo as like a a rig, yeah, like a, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a low tech rig. Yeah, the truckers you, really. Yeah, um, and then you then you consider uh, the Prometheus owned by this obscenely wealthy businessman the Whelan Corps yeah it's basically like okay all right fine like a a swish swanky office block that being said I totally buy it (laughs) I that being said I totally I totally agree with what you what you said that that we're going from that there should it should have felt like there was a little bit more of that more grounded old style tech you, you know, you're making an, an early 2010s movie uh, for a modern audience mm. that you know things are going to look a little bit swish. And I just, I, yeah. I don't know if I don't know if it's if it was well considered or if that that was a purposeful design choice or they've just gone, this is this is what it's going to look like and I haven't really so. given it much so. thought. It's inconsistent though, and I I, I agree with you totally. I think that. it's I think it's weirdly inconsistent because especially you're you're connecting it back to the you know the colloquial space jockeys and their ship um and and the geiger elements of that yeah and then we've got you know people touching the air and things happening on a screen they feel so devoid from one another yeah and i you know i came out of the theater quite enjoying it i didn't yeah i I was not offended by it in any way i just in, in some levels i enjoyed it a bit more than prometheus um, just in terms of characters, I I enjoyed following the characters more. Yeah, there were there were there were, chari- there were more likable characters in Covenant than there was in Prometheus. I I think I uh, I just to, feel, to a certain degree. Yeah, I I just feel at, at certain points where where the Alien franchise is at the moment is they they do a lot of giving the audience little hints here and there of hey look we have a message for you. It's kind mm. of hidden. If you're smart, you can get the message. But look, we are being smart because we have hidden this message. The meaning becomes hollow to me. Yeah. If your plot and subtext is all based in, in mystery and, oh, here's some mythology that you have to be smart and have to look up and, and yeah. research and, and everything, when you could just tell a good story, which well, is this... when it comes down to it, Alien is a good story. Alien is a, is a great story, grounded... You know, it's it's really efficient as well. It's not as long a film as you'd think, um, and and Aliens the same is is just a straight up. Mm. You know, yeah, that's a- fair. Action yeah. scene. What Prometheus and Covenant appear to be getting themselves bogged down with is that mythology and philosophy, and uh, that whole um, yeah, the the whole idea of sort of man and gods and uh, creation. Uh, I think some of it's quite interesting. I think. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I yeah. I am not opposed to smart films. I yeah. love films that make me think. Yeah. Um, but when they sort of hover the smartness over you, like like yeah. they are the gods of of the film. Yeah. Um, there's something that feels too smug that I I don't that I that I kind of rebel against. I've always been fascinated by the creature and the design and the production and the universe, and I I just think that that's that's this carrying on. I think uh, that I'll always have have a, an interest in it. I agree. I agree. So, um, everyone, go and watch the Alien 
film, you watch them all. They are they all have their merits, which is what yes. we're talking about here. Watch them all. They're great. My final recommendation for you all is to check out Dan O'Bannon's Dark Star, which started this entire thing. Fantastic. And just uh, my final thing is, I, I guess, looking forward to the future of the series, is that you know their their uh, covenant is left, you know, dangling a little way away from. Uh, Alien, and if this is to be brought full circle back to Alien, there is still there is still some films to be to be made. I don't know what the status of them is because uh, since the Fox uh, acquisition by Disney, they, they I hadn't ha- even thought about that. Yeah, so um, the, so Disney now owns the Alien franchise. Oh, that's and, terrifying. I don't want to think about that. Um, and so there's still some uncertainty as to what is going to happen, but it is believed that they are still active projects and that there is a future for the Alien franchise at some point uh, in the future. But who knows where that's going to be, uh, particularly at the moment, as uh, as the as the movie world is in a state of stasis appropriately enough <laughs> yeah i think all of them have got interesting elements to it and i think there's some great sequences great moments great ideas going on in them they don't always coalesce that well um or as 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 satisfying as they could but i i don't i don't for a second think there is a part of the series that is inherently worthless so yeah i concur excellent and so after that mammoth discussion, uh, we hope you're ready for a little bit of a palate cleanser with yet another pitch, pitch battle. battle. Oh, it always gives me chills. I know, it's so much fun. <laughs> Chris, uh, you have got a pitch battle for this week. Tell us, who is it from? Who's the actor? What's the object? And what, pray tell, is the genre? Uh, my lovely friend Caitlin Shea has has graced us with um, the actor Richard Armitage. Uh, the object is a die or dice. Nice. And um, in the setting of a romantic comedy. Oh, magnificent! Thank you, Caitlin. Uh, and uh, Christopher, would you like to go first, or no. would you like to go second? <laughs> I'll go second. You'll go second this time. Okay. So. <clears throat> So I'm going to warm up my pipes. I think I'm going to go with the breezy British rom-com this time. So, nice. uh, yes. So fire up the cheesy rom-com trailer music. And uh, Danny has never been lucky in love, but since finding a lucky set of dice that help him with his every decision, he's met the girl of his dreams. However, on the eve of his first date, he loses the dice and has to find them, or can he wow his date as the real him? Richard Armitage coming this summer in On a Roll. Oh, that's good. Thank you very much. That's good. <laughs> that was pretty good. Oh, I thank you. That's very kind. Uh... Okay, Christopher, it's your turn. A conservative magazine editor is sent on a work assignment to the world of Las Vegas, where he is transformed by bubble baths and casino living. That's where he gets into a tug of war with a sweet-natured ex-con turned roulette croupier, and their attraction is palpable. Just one obstacle. He flies out tomorrow with only her dice to remind him of their love. Richard Armitage in Will You Get Lucky Tonight? 
Very nice. <laughs> I like that. Uh, well, as as always, uh, do tell us who you thought won the uh, the pitch battle. I think I think that was a close one today. And so, without further ado, we're going to wrap up with our tracks of the trade. Uh, these will be updated to the Monkey See Monkey Review tracks of the trade playlist, uh, which is growing ever steadily. Uh, so, Chris, do you want to go yes. first or second? I will go first. Okay, wonderful. Okay, so my my track from Hans Zimmer's soundtrack to Sherlock Holmes. Ah. It is the third track on the album, and it is called I Never Woke Up in Handcuffs Before. What a lovely title. <laughs> um, it's, it's got this lovely drive. The whole soundtrack is very tonally the same, and it's really n- not in a bad way, in a really nice comforting there are thematic bits that come in and out that you can that you can listen to and melodies sprinkled here and there it's a very well-rounded soundtrack i recommend you listen to it all it's only about 12 tracks or so but that is my uh track of the trade for today i never woke up in handcuffs before fantastic and so for me i'm going for a second alan silvestri track in Yay. in in a row for podcast I've decided to go for one of the classic uh, 80s movie theme tunes. I've decided to pick the theme tune to Back to the Future uh, because it's just such a such a great track. It never fails to give me goosebumps, and it just just brings back memories of such a fantastic film. It's a really great grin-inducing piece of music. Uh, I'm sure, like like John Williams and like Hans Zimmer. Uh, Mr. Silvestri will make other appearances. Uh, Undoubtedly. Uh, yeah, so there are two tracks to trade. Hans Zimmer's Sherlock Holmes uh, score, I Never Woke Up in Handcuffs Before, and from the Back to the Future soundtrack uh, from Mr. Alan Silvestri, it's the main title theme. Oh, my second on... favourite film of all time. And what a what a film it is. Uh, and if, I'm sure uh, we'll talk about that at some point as oh, well, the abso- trilogy. Absolutely. So that brings us to the very, very end. And on that, thanks again for listening. Uh, Thank thanks, you. Thanks from me and Chris. And we look forward to speaking to you again with another Monkey See, Monkey Review podcast. Bye, lovelies. Bye. <laughs>